Good morning again, and it's so good to be here to worship together. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you could open them up and turn to the book of Philemon, I greatly appreciate that. Uh, we're going to continue in our series that we started last week, Hope of Reconciliation, right? We're studying the book of Philemon. It's a four-week series. It's the second week we're in it. Philemon is one of the smallest books in the New Testament, along with the book of Jude. It has 25 verses, a mere 355 words, but it packs a powerful punch. It pales in comparison as far as size to the book of Romans, Paul's largest book, that has 16 chapters and over 9,000 words. But you've heard the statement before, right, that sometimes big things come in small packages, right? It definitely is true of the book of Philemon. Great things come in it. But it's one of those books that it's really, really easy over to overlook or miss the significance of it. And I'm sure if I took a poll this morning from all of you and said, uh, to, your, to your estimation, what book is most impacts from the New Testament? And some of you would tell me, you'd say, you would rave about the glory of the Gospels. Praise God for the Gospels. That's where we're introduced to the earthly ministry, ministry of Jesus. Some of you would talk about the, the great theology of the book of Romans. I love theology. Praise God for that. And, and some of you would be captivated by the outpouring of God's grace and, and the, the witnessing and the people coming to Christ and the miracles and the revival that takes place throughout the book of Acts. And praise God for that, right? But as much as I appreciate those books, I pray that you would not overlook the enormous significance of the book of Philemon. For those books, uh, for those who know this book, that throughout church history, they would argue it's a tremendous pact, not only to church historically, but I would argue, but on the church as far as understanding the social engagement in the world. Because the, you know, this book of Philemon, this book on reconciliation, and that's, that's what it's about, was one of the favorite books of the abolitionist movement to overturn slavery. It was also one of the most significant books of the civil rights movement because it is in Philemon that we see reconciliation on full display. And what Paul gives us in the book of Philemon is life theology, not just a dissertation on reconciliation. What he's saying, this is what it looks like. If you want to see reconciliation, he goes, this is what it looks like, and that's what he tells us. How many of you remember in grade school used to have show and tell? Show and tell. Some of you are teachers, I know. You had show and tell. And the purpose of show and tell is you would bring something from home that was important to you, and then you would share with the class why it was important to you, right? That's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. It's in the book of Philemon. He's saying, he's putting reconciliation on display, and he's saying, this is how it looks. This is what it looks like when we reconcile with others. Then he explains to us why this should be important to us. He's explaining. And as we read through the book of Philemon over the next couple more weeks, we're going to be in this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself, how do you see yourself in this narrative, in this story? And I want you to find yourself in the life of one of the main major characters in the book of Philemon. There are three major characters in the book of Philemon. They're really supporting actors, really, aren't they? We know who the main character in the book of Philemon, right? The same main character in all, the story of all of our lives is who? Jesus. Jesus is the main character. So these are really three supporting actors that we have in the book of Philemon. But the first one that we have is Philemon. And I want you to ask yourself, am I Philemon? A am I somebody that's been wounded or hurt by someone else's actions? So am I Philemon in this book? 
Or maybe you're not Philemon, but maybe you're, you're Onesimus. And I want you to ask you, so maybe you say, it's my actions that cause the pain in someone else's life. And ask yourself, am I Onesimus? And whether you're Onesimus or you're, you're Philemon, the question you should be asking yourself, what is God's word for me in this story? What does he want to say to me in this story? If I'm Philemon or Onesimus. And maybe you're not Philemon or Onesimus, but you're Paul in this story. And you've been called to leverage your voice, to use your influence to two groups of people, two parties that are in odds, to get, odds against each other, that are in conflict, to reconcile them together. And you should be asking yourself, what is God's word for me in this story? What would he have me do in the story? Regardless of wherever you find yourself in this story in the book of Philemon, I think it's true for all of us that Philemon begs us to ask the question, how is the ministry of reconciliation working out in, in my life? How is it doing in your own personal life? How are you doing with this? Am I, doing, am I reconciling broken relationships or am I walking away? And see, am I simply just walking away from this? Am I glorifying God in my relationships by kind of trying to reconcile those broken relationships in my life? Am I, am I doing that? Reconciliation is one of the most powerful displays of the reality of Christ in our lives. To know that Jesus is working in our lives. Put it on display. When I reconcile with other people in a relationship, God gets more glory from, from that than if I just walk away, right? He wants us to reconcile. The big idea from the book of Philemon is that relational barriers come down in Christ. That all the relational barriers that we have between us and God comes down, and between others come down in Jesus. And Paul is writing this not just to, to say and give us the what. He's not just saying, here's the what. He doesn't just stop and say, this is the what, but he also tells us the how. And that's what great preaching really is. Great preaching and teaching really doesn't just give us the what, but it gives us the how. How many of you already know the what? You know already that you should be reconciled to those, neg to those relationships that's what's negative. How many of you could say, I already know that I should be doing it, right? And just because you know that, it doesn't fix it, does it? It doesn't fix it because the real question is the how. How do we do it? That's the question. We know what we have, but how do we do it? And how do I take that business relationship that's gone negative and redeem it? How do I take that relationship between me and my child that's been estranged, and how do I fix it? How do I take that marriage relationship that's, that's gone downhill and turn it around? How do I do that? That's what we're looking at. Lord, just don't give us the what, but give us the how. That's what we need, right? We need the how. That's what we need in our lives. What Paul gives us here is three steps, three steps to relational barriers, how they come down in our lives. And what we have, if you have your outline, three steps to find reconciliation. And step one should seem obvious. It should go without asking, but I think it's the most important step. Number one is you must desire to seek reconciliation. You must desire it. If you don't have a desire to be reconciled, it's never going to happen, right? You've got a desire to have that happen. Let's look at Paul's words in verse 17. He says, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. That's powerful. What Paul is saying here, Paul is saying to Philemon, I want you to do more than just forgive Onesimus. He says, I want you to receive him as a brother in Christ. And he's saying, I, I know you guys are separated by social status. I know that you're a wealthy businessman. He's a slave. He's a runaway slave. But I want you to receive him, Philemon. I want you to receive Onesimus as a brother in Christ. But look how Paul appeals to Philemon, the motivation for this. He's saying to be reconciled with Onesimus. He says here, he says, if you consider me, consider yourself to be a partner is what he says. And the word partner there, we talked about it last week. It's not a business term. It's not a talk about equity in a, in a company or, or profit. That's not what the word is mean. 
The Greek word for partner there is really a word called koinonos. It's a derivative of the word we talked about last week called koinia. What does koinia mean again? What? Fellowship, fellowship. I want you to get that right. I'm going to be asking again. It means fellowship. So what Paul is really saying to Philemon is this. Are you part of this fellowship, brother? And if you consider yourself part of this fellowship, if you consider yourself to be in Christ, if you consider yourself to be part of the family, then you should desire to live out reconciliation at every opportunity in your life. You should look to do that. And, and that, should be a, that should be our Christian expectation for us. That's what we desire as followers of Christ, that we simply don't walk away from relationships that go negative, but we seek to reconcile them. It's what we should do. And this is one of the primary things that makes us as followers of Jesus Christ unique and cross-cultural in our lives. So because we know, the, we know the normal tendency of things, right? In relationships that go negative, the normal tendency is those relationships that go negative either wind up staying negative or we end them all together, don't we? When a business partnership goes negative, what happens? We usually find a way to divide up the company. You get your lawyer, I get my lawyer, but this thing's going to end, right? When a parent-child relationship goes negative, what normally happens? It stays negative. The child moves out. They stop phone calling the parents, and sooner or later, what you see the next thing, they're separated from one another. When a marriage goes negative, we see this over and over again. It's usually the beginning of the end. Very rarely do you see a negative marriage turn around to be reconciled. Very rarely do you see that. But when we are in Christ, that changes everything, right? It changes everything. We're in Jesus. It changes all. We have, we have given, been given something greater than just the natural state of things. What we've been given is supernatural power through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. And that changes everything. It's not the natural state of things the way the world is, but because we have Jesus, because we're in Christ, because we have that partnership as brothers and sisters in Christ, it changes everything. How many thank God that what is negative can be turned around through Jesus? You don't thank God. How many thank God? Amen? You thank God for that. Amen? Right? We thank God that Jesus can take whatever relationship it is, and he can turn it around. That's the power of Christ, right? Amen? That's what he can do. Isn't that what Jesus did by coming into this world? That he, he, he looked at you and I, we could not reconcile ourselves to God. That there was a breach in the, in the relationship between us and God, between me and God, between the world and God. And Jesus came into this world and took that negative relationship and he turned it around. Isn't that what he did when he came to this world? And, and those, now all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we belong to the family of God through Jesus by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus bridged that gap for us, right? He reconciled us to God the Father. Isn't that what he did? Amen? So my question for you is, is where is your Philemon moment in your own life? where God is asking you and challenging you to reconcile that broken relationship, uh, that wounded relationship. It's one thing to come in here on Sunday morning and worship together in an auditorium like this. We praise God for that. But the real sermon starts when we leave those doors, right? So my question to you, who you're going to call or text or email and tell someone, say, you know, I haven't talked to you in a, quite a while, but I want to reconcile with you. I want to glorify God with my life and my relationships and everything. And I want to glorify God. So I want to reconcile with you. And as you're thinking about that, and hopefully you're thinking about that, that you just don't hear me, but you're thinking about it. I want to tell you to give you the second step. The second step is very powerful. The second step to find reconciliation is number two, draw on the power of your fellowship in Christ. Draw on the power of your fellowship in Christ. 
God doesn't just tell us to do it by yourselves. He said, now you go out and you make this happen. He doesn't say that at all. The fellowship that you and I share in Christ, I believe this is the ability for us to reconcile our culture and our world. It's that strong. It gives us the ability to not only reconcile with God, but with others. Through the power of Jesus, that fellowship that we have in Christ, right? Let's read verse 4 through 7, beginning with verse 4. He says, always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Don't just breeze by that, because what Paul is saying, he said, is that reconciliation is not a natural thing. It doesn't happen automatically to be reconciled with others. So we better be praying to an almighty God and asking God, God, tender their hearts, not only myself, but other people we need to be reconciled with, right? Don't ever underestimate the power of God, that Jesus can take anything and he can turn it around. He can. And we give him all the glory to do that, right? He can do it all. He goes on in verse 5. Because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. For all the saints. Everybody say, for all the saints. For all the saints. That's what he said. A wonderful saying. What Paul is saying, he said, if you are in Christ, he's saying, you don't get to choose who you love. You don't get to edit. You don't get to delete. You don't get to decide. You don't get to choose. If they love Jesus and you love Jesus, you've got to love them is what he's saying. You, don't, you and I don't have a choice who we're going to love. If they love Christ and I love Christ, I've got to love them is what the Bible says. We are called to love all people, especially those who are in the fellowship of Christ, right? They belong to the family of God who trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, regardless of geographical differences, regardless of social economic differences, ethnic differences, cultural, racial differences, that we are to love them is what the Bible says. We're one family in Christ and we're to love one another, right? No matter who they are, if they're in Christ, we are to love them. And so this is what it's all based on. So verse 6 and 7, he goes on. He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a, full, have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ, that your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. What is Paul talking about, particularly in verse 6? He uses that phrase, you may be active in sharing your faith. What is he talking about there? Some would say when he, when he said sharing your faith, they're talking about that he's talking about direct evangelism. They were to evangelize uh, non-believers that don't believe in Jesus. Um, I don't think that's what Paul is talking about there. The reason I say that, because I don't think that's the right interpretation, because when, in all of Paul's writings, we don't find anywhere else where he uses the phrase, sharing of your faith, to refer to direct evangelism. Direct evangelism is important where we share Christ with unbelievers. That's important. But I don't think that's what he's talking about here. So what is he talking about? The word sharing, which is another koinonia. What does koinonia mean? Okay, one more time. What does koinonia mean? Let's be quick. Fellowship, fellowship. So it means fellowship. So here's what I believe Paul is saying. He's saying that your fellowship, that you're coming together in friendship and love and you're worshiping together, makes your faith active or effective. Some translations use the word effective. The Greek word for active here is where we get our English word, energy or power. So what Paul is saying is this, and it's, it's really impactful. It's really, really great. He says, when you gather together in this public worship like we're doing this morning, it says your fellowship is so powerful and impactful and effective to a watching world that it changes their heart, is what he's saying, that it becomes such a sweet aroma to all those who are watching that it draws them to Jesus. 
because they see you coming united in Christ and worshiping this one true God through Jesus. And when you're united together, and it's so impactful that you know as you look at the world, it's weary. It's weary of all the arguing and bickering and the divisiveness. And this becomes something kind of sweet when they see this in action. When they see this coming together, cross class lines, socioeconomic lines, and we're gathered together to come into worship in a very powerful way. And we're lifting up Jesus in a very powerful way, united together. And that's what Paul was challenging Philemon to do with Onesimus. Is what he's telling him to do. Can you picture it? Onesimus now come into Philemon's house. He's timid. He's afraid, scared to death, not knowing what the backlash, and he's knocking on Philemon's door. And Philemon comes to the door, and all of a sudden Onesimus hands him the letter. This is from Paul. He wants you to read this. And he begins to read this letter, and Paul is saying to him, he says, I want you to forgive Onesimus, and I want you to take him back, not as a slave, but I want you to take him back as a brother in Christ. And then he goes on, he says, and I want you to invite him into worship. Can you imagine the talk in Colossae? This is where Philemon lived. The talk there around the town that's going on when this wealthy businessman, is probably known all through the town, is there. And he's inviting this former slave, this runaway, into his house, to come into his house, because the church met in Philemon's house at that time. And he's inviting him in, and he says, I want you to sit right next to me in this chair right next to me, and I want us to worship Jesus together. Can you imagine the beauty of that, of seeing that reconciliation take place right in front of their eyes? That's what visual reconciliation looks like. Right in front of their eyes, we're seeing it. Now, I don't know what the message was preached on that Sunday morning in Philemon's house where that church met, but I know the most powerful message was right there of them allowing Onesimus to come in and worship with them. That was the most powerful message right there at that day. That visual message that they saw right there. Their faith in action right there. And so one of the things that we need to understand here at Crossos, that our fellowship is being watched outside of these four walls. The people are watching us. And they're looking at our ability to worship this same Jesus together, that we lift him high together and we worship him. And people are watching what we're doing. And I'm praying this is a ripple effect that leaves here, that goes out into the world, and they say that they can be reconciled to the glory of God, that through Jesus, they were all reconciled together. Amen? That through Jesus, that we can be reconciled together. He can break down all the barriers. He can break down all those wounded relationships. That through Jesus, not only we reconciled to God, but we can be reconciled together through Jesus. Amen? The third step to find reconciliation, the first one, not only do you have to seek it, Second, not only do you have to draw on that koinonia, that fellowship, but the third step, and I hope you saw it, hope you saw it. Number three is champion the cause of the voiceless. Champion the cause of the voiceless. Those, this would have never happened if Paul wouldn't have spoke up for Onesimus. Onesimus wasn't able, he messed up so badly that he didn't have the ability to reconcile himself. He had messed up so bad that he couldn't go home. And maybe this morning you know somebody, they can't go home. They messed up, messed up so bad they can't go home. Even if they could confess it and, and ask for forgiveness a thousand times, it wouldn't make any difference, right? What Paul said, Onesimus, you can't do this yourself, so I'm going to do it for you, is what he said. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to step in here in the gap, and I'm going to do it for you. And it would have been easy for Paul to say, you know, Onesimus, this is not my problem, it's your problem. It would have been easy for him to say, oh, 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 Onesimus, he says, uh, you know, I'm a busy man. I'm trying to plant churches. I'm trying to preach the gospel. I'm busy. I'm here in prison. 
What can I do for you? I'm locked up here in prison. I can't help you with this. But that's not what Paul said. Paul says, because we are brothers in Christ, because we're partners in Jesus, because we belong to the same family, we see this relationship that is broken. He says, I'm going to step on. I'm going to try to help. I'm going to try to help reconcile you together is what he says. And then he gives us the motive here in verse 10. Verse 10, he says this. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Look at the tenderness of that phrase. My son Onesimus. Paul loved Onesimus, right? You see that. He loved him. And that was his motivation. Because I love you. You're part of the family. Verse 11 and 12. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Am I sending him who is my very heart? Back, back to you, he says. I'm sending my very heart back to you. Again, you see Paul's deep love for Onesimus. He loved this man. And so this is the love that you and I have between each other, that we hear that a relationship is broken. Say, how can I help? How can I get involved? Where the powerless cannot advocate for themselves, so I'm going to be, be the voice for the voiceless, right? Then I'm going to help you. How can I advocate on your behalf is what we have to ask. It's our love for Christ and that love of Jesus that works in us that causes us to advocate on behalf of those who can't advocate for themselves. They can't speak for themselves. It should be lost on us. We need to look for opportunities, be the voice and influence for those who cannot advocate for themselves. For those that have no way to be reconciled to someone else. We say, but I can step in and I can do that. I can help with this, that we can do that. My question for you today is this. How will you use your influence and your voice to be a champion for the voiceless? How will you use your voice and your influence to reconcile parties that have wounded relationships, that have broken relationships between them? Whether it be in our culture, in our country, whether between a, a couple of friends you know, whether it be between a married couple that you know, my encouragement to you is just don't sit in the sidelines when you see it happen. When it comes to the ministry of reconciliation, we need to all get involved. That's what Jesus tells us in 2 Corinthians 5. You've been given this ministry of reconciliation. That we're to reconcile people together, right? Be reconciled to God first and be reconciled together. The greatest story of the book of Philippian, I mean Philemon, that makes this all possible is not the horizontal reconciliation. It's the vertical reconciliation that they experienced through Jesus, right? That's the one that matters. That's the one that matters. Because if Christ had not come and died for them, then they would not have their sins forgiven. They could not be reconciled to God if it wasn't for Christ. And then they couldn't be reconciled together. Because Jesus died for them, now they were in this family together. They were partners together. They were in Christ together. They were brothers together. And now based on all of that, they can have reconciliation is what he's saying. See, we can reconcile with people who don't know Jesus but that reconciliation, whether we understand it, doesn't really glorify God. When we glorify God is when you and I yield to God and say, God, I'm asking for your strength and your power, and we do it through Jesus. That's when it glorifies him, right? And that's when the reconciliation lasts because it's based on a firm foundation, which is Christ, right? That can only truly provide reconciliation. So we come to Jesus and we say, God, help us to reconcile. We pray about that. Help us to reconcile is what we do, right? And maybe you're here today. He said, boy, my life is really messed up. My life is really broken. I've got all kinds of things that are going on in my life. Your first step into fixing that is to be reconciled to God through Jesus. Do you realize that? That's the first step. If I try to reconcile with other people, 
but it's the vertical, that I need to be reconciled to God through Jesus. And God doesn't care what you have in your past. It doesn't matter. Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood for all that. And I want you to picture in your heart and mind this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, or even if you do know Jesus as your Savior, but you're here today and you say, boy, I've messed up so bad. I've hurt so many people. I've done so many wrong things. I've done all this thing. I've said these things about people. I've done all this. That I want you to picture God, Jesus, with his arms open wide. And it doesn't matter what you've done. He's ready to come and accept you and embrace you right where you're at. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how many times you've done it, how many people you've hurt. It doesn't matter. But Jesus is ready to embrace you and accept you no matter what you've done because Jesus died for all that upon the cross, right? That you would just come to him and understand this, that we're all sinners, right? Every one of us are sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. And that Jesus came down from this earth to reconcile us back to God the Father by going to the cross. When he was on that cross, God placed all of our sins upon Jesus, and Jesus died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. All of your sins that you will ever commit, that you've ever committed, they've all been, uh, Jesus paid the price. He was your substitute for you. All your sins have been paid for. And now you and I can have access to God the Father, but we have to come to him the way that he's provided. The only one way is through Jesus Christ, by putting our faith and trust in Jesus and trust him as our Savior. By coming, in, by coming and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. The Bible says, by grace you've been saved through faith. And I come to you, understand that Jesus is God, he's the Son of God, and that he died on the cross for my sins. And right now I put my faith and my trust in Jesus. I trust him as my Savior. If you've never done that, I, I urge you to do that today. That's the first step. To be reconciled to God vertically through Jesus, right? To be reconciled to God to do that. If you still have questions about that, please see me after the service. Love to talk to you about that. That's the first step. For all of us who have been reconciled to God, all of us who accepted Jesus as followers of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would leave here and be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. That you've listened to what I've said today. You just don't take it and, and you listen to it. Okay, that's good. But you actually put it into practice. That's what it's all about. You come in and listen to the message and we worship together. That's one thing. But the sermon really starts when we leave these doors, right? That's what I said before. That you would all come here and you would realize today we choose to live in the ministry of reconciliation. That's what we've been called, 2 Corinthians 5. That's what the book of Philemon is all about. So I've been reconciled to God through Jesus, and now I'm to go out and I'm to reconcile with others. Who I have wounded relationships, who the relationships are broken, I'm to reconcile this. And I'm also to be one to help to reconcile people together, right? That's our calling. And this morning that we'd all make that commitment and say, that's our calling. That's what I want to commit to, to reconcile, to be the ministry of reconciliation that God has called every one of us to. I'm going to have a message later on. It's a superpower, guys. You don't realize what we can do through Jesus. What people can't do on their own, what Jesus can do, he can take a relationship and he can turn it around. Something that looks impossible with our own eyes, Jesus can do it, amen? He is able to do that. So let's commit to that ministry of reconciliation. Let's take a stand and say, God, I'm going to stand on that ministry of reconciliation through Jesus. Let's not try to do it in our own effort. Anytime we try to do anything on our own effort, make decisions, or anything like that, or try to reconcile people without Jesus, Jesus doesn't get the glory because what we're trying to say, God, I don't need you. I can make those decisions on my own. I can reconcile people on my own, and it's usually going to fall flat. I don't glorify God when I do that because I'm doing it on my own. 
But when I come and I say, God, I need your strength, I need your power, I need you to tend to their hearts, and I'm praying to you that you would be glorified through this. Whatever I do in that circumstance, God receives all the fame, all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Amen? That's what we want. Do, do it in the strength of Jesus. But in order to do that, you've got to be reconciled to God through Jesus, right? You've got to know him first. And I pray all you know him. Let's pray. Lord, he come and we praise you because you're a wonderful, magnificent, awesome Savior. That you love us, that you came to this earth. God, you left the throne room of heaven. You came to this earth, took on the form of a human being. And Lord, uh, that you might reconcile us to God. You paid the way. You were our substitute. You paid our payment. What we so deserved, you took it on God's wrath for us so that we might have relationship to God through you, Jesus. We praise God for that. Now, Lord, I pray that everyone in this room knows Christ as their Savior. If they don't, Lord, convict them right now that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And they might put their faith and trust in Jesus. Lord, I pray for all of us that know Jesus. That Lord, we realize that, Lord, we've been given a great gift of being reconciled to God through Jesus, the gift of salvation. And now we've been given a, to call out and, and to reconcile others to Jesus, to God through Jesus. And we give them the ministry of reconciliation. And Lord, we realize that. What an honor and privilege it is, is to be God's ambassadors, to carry this ministry of reconciliation out to a world who desperately needs it, a world who desperately is tired of the arguing and the bickering and the divisiveness, and they want to see people come together and united, to come together and to lift up Jesus together. It's drawing. It draws people. It's a sweet aroma to them, Lord. They're looking for something like that. When they can see that in the church that we're united together to worship you, Jesus, it's powerful. It draws people to you. Help us, Lord, as we're out in the world that we live this life, that we're drawing people to Jesus because we're acting like Jesus. And we're reconciling people to you with that powerful gospel message. Help us also, Lord, through the strength of Christ, through the ministry of reconciliation, they might use us to reconcile with other people. We have ruined relationships. Either they've hurt us or the other way around, we've hurt them, that we can reconcile those relationships. But also, Lord, you might use us to be like a Paul in someone's life, to bring two warring parties, two people who are at odds, two people in conflict, bring them together, and we might be reconciled through the glory of God. Through Jesus, anything is possible. That in Christ, we can all be reconciled together. And Lord, we praise you, and we love you, and we thank you so much for, for what you've given us, a gift, a precious, precious gift. But Lord, let us not hold this gift so close to ourselves, but let us be willing to give it out to others. Reconciliation. Nothing greater than that, to be reconciled to their God. Lord, we ask that you would work in each one of our hearts, that, Lord, we would not only hear the message, but we'd be doers, that we'd put it into practice. Lord, I pray as we sing this next song, that, Lord, we make a commitment and make a stand, that we surrender to you to be those people who reconcile others. Lord, we ask all these things in that wonderful, amazing name. In the name of Jesus, amen.